important day on the Christian calendar. As a matter of fact, uh, I would consider this on par with the other major holidays, with Christmas and Easter. Now, the reason some of us were like, well, what is this? Mother's Day was there, Father's Day was there. No, no, no. This is why we titled this series Unsung Hero, because I feel like the Holy Spirit, it just doesn't get a lot of credit, right? Like we all love Christmas because that's when the Father gave us the gift in his son, Jesus Christ. We all love Easter, obviously, because that's when the Son gave his life so that you and I can have that salvation through his resurrected life. But today marks a very special day on the Christian calendar, a day that's known as Pentecost Sunday. And the reason this is so important is because today is the day that the Holy Spirit was imparted upon all people who are willing to receive it. If you read your Bibles, the Holy Spirit is evident throughout the entirety of the Bible. The Holy Spirit is there from the first verse, right? Uh, It's in creation, it's in every aspect, or he is in every aspect of the Holy Spirit, uh, of the Bible, and The Holy Spirit's always there. But what we see oftentimes throughout the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody temporarily for something to be done, like when Samson needed strength to knock over the pillars, or or, you know, there's a number of different occasions where you see the Holy Spirit temporarily come upon somebody, and then that's it. It's not until the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter two that we see the Holy Spirit indwell in its, his people. And so now you and I are the literal walking temple of the Holy Spirit. So this is a big deal, right? This is huge. This is everything that we've been trying to talk about over the last several weeks. Uh, I think even in, in the Old Testament, if you read, this day was a special day for them, although it was not called Pentecost at that time. It was one of the three main holidays that Jews would pilgrim to Jerusalem for. It was originally called the Feast of Harvest, where they would celebrate the first fruits of the harvest season. It's kind of like their Thanksgiving, right? The first crops that would grow, they'd come together and they would feast on it and there would be this really important significance to this day. But the significance for us is much greater. It represents the day we received the promise Jesus spoke of in the Gospels. This represents the day that we received the promise of an advocate, a comforter, a counselor, an intercessor. The Holy Spirit showed up on the day of Pentecost. And Jesus said, like I said earlier, that through the Spirit, we would be able to accomplish even greater things than he did. So why do we call it Pentecost? And, and here's, I think, why we, we don't give it as much love is because especially in Chicago, we attach that word Pentecost or Pentecostal to a lot of uh, strange things, if I can say it that way, or to uh, an overly religious or legalistic ideology. And so we tend to shy away from it because it, it conjures up images that we're uncomfortable with or, or we find strange or weird. And like I said at the beginning of this series, I do not believe that the Holy Spirit is weird. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is strange. I believe a lot of people are and they do weird and strange things in the name of the Holy Spirit. That's not to say the Holy Spirit's not gonna manifest in ways that you're not used to, it's just not weird, okay? It's not like, the the Holy Spirit is the comforter, not the uncomforter, right? It's not gonna come and make you super uncomfortable. And so we received this, and and just to kind of bring back the name Pentecost, it's, it's not an overly religious thing. It just means 50. All Pentecost means is 50 because it was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all that means. So I'm going to take away all the mystification and and weirdness. It just means 50. 50 days after our Lord and Savior rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit came. 
40 days, Jesus walked around talking, meeting with people. I mean, Jesus was on the move. It's not like he popped up once or twice. And then 10 days after that, the Holy Spirit shows up. During those 10 days, the church, the disciples, were gathering together, praying and interest. They were having church every day. Why? Because Jesus told them. There's a mission that the church is given. A mission that they were given then and that we are still called to accomplish today. Which is to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the mission of the church. Every church has that mission. I don't care what little monikers they have. I don't care what little taglines they have. Every church is in existence to seek and to save that which is lost, to be able to reach the lost. That's why God called us on this planet. That's why when you said yes to Jesus, you weren't just summoned to heaven right away because there was a purpose and a plan for your life. Now, the church does a number of other things, but that's the main mission. That's always going to be the main thing. And I think about this and the importance of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you imagine Jesus is spending 40 days after his resurrection, hanging out with the disciples, teaching, still talking, uh, bringing some of them back into the fold who had wandered off. He's doing work in those 40 days. And then right before he gets ready to send, he tells them, hey, I need you to wait on the gift that the Father has promised. Hey, I know you have a mission. I know we've been talking about it. We've been training you for upwards of three years. You saw the power of the resurrection. You know what's about to happen. But I'm telling you, don't start this mission until you have been equipped with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, for me, that says that's kind of a big deal because there has never been a more trained and equipped group of people than the disciples. They are, they are so far beyond anybody's you know, master's in divinity and anybody's doctorates and anybody's education. It's, like, it's not like it's just that they know the Bible. They wrote the thing. Like There is nobody more equipped to do this. And yet Jesus didn't care about their equipping on earth. They didn't care about how many books they read. He cared about are you equipped with the Holy Spirit, which tells me that we cannot effectively do all that God has called us to do in and of ourselves that we need a power greater than ourselves indwelling within us and leading us to do the work that God has called us to do. And so I want to read Acts. There's a number of verses, but I think it's important for us to understand the context of this. In Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 1 through 13, and then uh, we'll carry on with some more of that. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. Remember, these people are from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Just a pause right there. This was kind of funny when I studied a little bit, like why that was such a big deal. These people were from Galilee. Apparently, the people from Galilee uh, talked ghetto. Like they did not speak eloquently or well. And so literally they're like, what's up with these hood people talking in our native tongue? Like, how do they know eight languages? Like, what's going on here? So I think it's so funny that in the middle of this, they're throwing shade on the Galileans. Like, dang, bro, like, they can't even talk good. (laughs) And look at them doing this. 
But what you have to understand is, is at this time in Jerusalem, because this was one of those three major holidays, the Feast of Harvest, people from, who were Jewish from all other cultures and countries had traveled to Jerusalem for this one pilgrimage. And so he goes on to say, here we have Parinthians, Medes, Elamites, people from uh, Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, province of Asia. Uh, we're going to pretend I know how to say that one. Phrygia, uh, Typhlia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians, Arabs, and we hear all these people speaking our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other, but others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, that's all. At that moment, Peter steps up and he begins to present the first gospel message after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he goes through basically the whole Old Testament. He goes through every pivotal moment. It's like when you're getting ready to binge watch a show and they have that four minute recap of the last 10 seasons. That's essentially what Peter steps up and he does. And he says, guys, they're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m., all right? Uh, Which I love. He's like, they could be drunk, but it's only 9 a.m. So they're not drunk. And he goes through the entirety of the Old Testament, helping them understand that everything that you have been taught has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so these are the same people, which you need to understand, these people have been here. So a lot of them were there when Christ was crucified. A lot of them saw what was going down, and and now they're starting to realize, dude, maybe we were wrong. And he's walking him through this whole thing. And then it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 41, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. On Pentecost Sunday, we see the power of the Holy Spirit move. We see the birth of the church. What we are now privileged to be a part of is born in Acts chapter 2. The church went from 120 disciples to 3,120 believers who are baptized, full of the Holy Spirit, following Jesus Christ. This is insanely pivotal. This is what I'm telling you. This is a holiday. This is a big deal today. Why? Because that same gift is accessible to you and I. Peter even goes on to say, he makes a point for people to understand, this is not just for you, but for your children and all who are to come. So I think about this, right? Christmas, we, we give gifts, but I mean, you don't see gifts being given to us on Christmas. They were given to Jesus. This is literally the time where we gave gifts or we were receiving gifts from God. And it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible also goes on to tell us, Jesus speaking, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power to be my witnesses. That word power in the original Greek is dunamis. Dunamis is where we get the word dynamite. Power, right? You're given 
power to do what you need to do. You can have the nicest car on the block, but if there's no power to drive that car, it's useless, right? You need power. We can have the nicest building, nicest church in all of America, but when we have power to turn the lights on, we're not gonna be in this building. Power is what's necessary to accomplish the mission that God has given us as a church. And so I wanna look at three gifts that the Spirit empowers us to do that we see in the church that I think is still evident today. And if you're taking notes, the first thing is this. The Holy Spirit empowers the church to move. Amen. It empowers the church to move. This is a big deal. Uh, just recently, I put in my AC unit. Anybody have like window AC units? Anybody you raise? Oh, I'm just the poorest person in the church. All right. <laughs> One day, Lord, give me central air. But I got to put in that window unit every year, which stinks, right? It's just a, it's a horrible thing. And so for a long time, it was knocking out the power of my block. And so we had like a separate power outlet just for the AC unit put into that window. It's a really old house. And so, uh, you know, I was all excited. Like really, I was just like, oh man, I got a new plug. I don't know why that got me so excited. But I was like, I got a new plug. And I remember I put the AC unit in. I was all sweaty, got everything together, insulated. I'm like, all right, we're good. Plug it in. I push power, nothing. I'm like, dude, are you serious? Like, I was so frustrated, I was so upset. I called the guy that put it in. I was like, you broke it, you messed it up. He's like, did you turn the switch on in the basement? I was like, oh, there's a switch in the basement. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I'm gonna go try to do that real quick. I go down to the basement, hit the little power breaker, air conditioning turned on. I was like, beautiful. Listen, I was plugged in. I was set up, but the power wasn't flowing. And listen again, we, you, know, you, are, you are plugged in, you're here, you show up, you're doing your thing, you're set up, but is the power flowing? Or are you just, you know, you're just a window adornment right now. See, the Holy Spirit empowers the church to move, to move out of our personal comfort zone. Think about this. It, was, it could be embarrassing, right? The people's reaction was, these guys are drunk. Sometimes we don't get out of our comfort zone, spiritually speaking. We don't move the way the Holy Spirit calls us to move because we're afraid that people are going to think we're weird. Well, you know, if I talk to my, my coworker about Jesus, they're going to think I'm one of those like hallelujah people and they're going to think we're all running up and down the aisle and jumping in the baptism tank. And, and I'm like, why are you so concerned about what they think? Because when you're full of the Holy Spirit, guess what? You suddenly don't care what people think. And it's not because their opinion doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter as much as God's opinion. And so when the Holy Spirit is in you, you can't resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit nags you, moves on you, bothers you, annoys you, pushes you to saying, I'm not leaving you alone until you do this. It forces you to move out of your comfort zone because my love for God is greater than my fear of man. And so, so I got to move. The Holy Spirit moved the church outside of the four walls of the upper room and onto the street. Church, if we are going to see a move of the Holy Spirit, it can't be limited to Sunday morning in this room. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Here's, here's what needs to happen, because a lot of times we, we misunderstand. We relegate evangelism and the move of the Holy Spirit to convincing our friends to show up Sunday morning. So, hey, I've been asking, I've been bribing, I did this, I did that. I'm trying to get my friend to come to church. And I'm like, you know, if you brought your church to your friend, it might be a little bit easier. 
That's like, that's like you as a, as a waiter or a waitress trying to bring the table to the plate. It, it's easier to bring the plate to the table. And so why don't you instead bring the gospel message to the lunchroom at your job when you're talking to that coworker who's opening up and telling you about all the things you're struggling with and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gives you an unction, a moment to say, hey, now is the time to speak. And suddenly you say, hey, listen, I, I don't know how to answer all the questions of what you're going through, but I can tell you that God is providing us a helper that's willing to do that for you if you are willing to give your life to him. Well, what does that mean? Let me talk you through it. And I'm not saying don't bring people to church, but this, is, this isn't necessarily the one and only stop. This is where we then bring them into the family. This is where we provide community. This is where we teach them. This is where we build them up. But you can do the early stages. You know, you're almost like paramedics. You go out into the field and you got a little bit of triage going on and then you bring them to the hospital. But if, but if all you did was pick them up and bring them to the hospital, they might die on the way here. You got to do something over it, put a Band-Aid or something. Like, you got to show up. The Holy Spirit moved them. Because here's the deal. They're in the upper room. They're praying. The Spirit is literally a roaring wind, tongues of fire. This is a majestic, amazing moment. A lot of us would want to sit in that moment. But the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 I'm empowering you to go out. Listen, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is Jesus. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. The Holy Spirit moves you from consumer to distributor. Christian, are you a consumer or are you a distributor? Are you someone who just shows up week in, week out, takes in, takes in, takes in, but never passes out? Are you a spiritual hoarder who you got piles and piles of knowledge and wisdom and giftings and books, but you share nothing? You impart it on no one. You don't overflow, you store. They went from the upper room to the streets. We gather each week to receive from God together but what are you doing with what you've received? Where are you taking it? I've said this in the past, but, but I often think about it, especially now you see like NHL playoffs and basketball playoffs. What good is it if the coach gathers the team, runs a play, says, this is what we're gonna do, this is how we're gonna do it, do this, 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 this. It says, all right, end of the timeout, and they all go to the locker room. <laughs> okay, what was the point of all that then? Listen, on Sunday, I'm just giving you the play. But on Monday, you gotta run it. Like, like we got to take you beyond that. And the beauty is that the Holy Spirit will empower you to do that. Will give you divine appointments. Will, will tell you moments where you have it. I mean, just, there is amazing. When you are full of the Holy Spirit, you can't help but see these opportunities that God is opening. How many of us miss out on opportunities just because we're not looking? Just because we're not taking time to notice. The Holy Spirit empowers us to move. Not only that, the Holy Spirit empowers the church to receive. All right, we're going to move, we're going to give something, but you got to first take it in to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one, verse eight says, but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to tell people about me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. The gifts of the Holy Spirit 
are not meant for your entertainment. They're not meant to be badges on your spiritual sash of, and it's not the Christian Boy Scouts here. This is not like, oh, I checked this off the box. I achieved that goal in Christianity. No, you are empowered to do something with it. It reminds me sometimes of the difference between a bodybuilder and a power lifter. Or a strongman. You ever seen those strongman competitions where they're carrying boulders and they're throwing them? If you look at those two bodies, very different bodies. The bodybuilder is sculpted. It's every muscle is bulging. There are muscles on top of muscles. Muscles none of us knew we had. <laughs> Meanwhile, the strongman, I would say, probably looks a little more like me. Big, beautiful, robust, like... <laughs> Wasn't a joke, but... <laughs> Guys, my kids are watching. <laughs> no. But the truth is, right, strongman, he's got that belly. You know, he's got, bodybuilder's got six-pack, strongman's got kegs. And, and <clears throat> but here's the difference. The bodybuilder's all for show. It's all for show. Well, the strongman's all for power to show you what they can move. They're carrying trucks. They're moving buses. They're throwing beams. They're picking up boulders. It's not about show. It's not about look at how pretty I am. It's about look at how strong I am. Listen, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophetic words, speaking in tongues, all those things, they're not meant to show you as a better Christian. They're meant to empower you to be a more effective Christian. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And again, I encourage you to come out on Wednesdays because we're going to go deep into that. But we also, through the move of the Holy Spirit, we get to receive the harvest of new believers. The church, like I said earlier, went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. I'm going to be honest with you. I've only been in this position a month. I have no idea what I would do if the church grew to 3,000 overnight. I'd pretend like I did. Oh man, I'd fake it. I'd, I'd, yeah, we got this. But on the end, I'm like, no, don't know, what don't know what we're supposed to do. How do you even deal with that? Holy Spirit. Listen, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, but we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit through belief in the truth. These were the first fruits. Isn't it interesting that a day that was celebrated by them as the day of harvest of feast, the first fruits of the harvest season is the day that we experience the first fruits of the church. Why is that important? Because you can't have an orchard without some fruit first, right? Because you got to have fruit so you can have seeds. You got to have seeds that you can plant. Then when you plant those seeds, you get trees, you get vines, you get the rest of it. These were the first fruits we received. And when God does something in you and he develops you and he grows you and that fruit begins to develop, there better be some seeds with it too. And that seed, even just one, can multiply into thousands of fruit. That's why it kind of describes here that sanctifying work. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. You alone can't be better. We're not in our own efforts. We can't just try and try and try and somehow become more like Jesus. I'm sure there is a level of effort. I'm not saying just sit there and lay in your bed until the Holy Spirit makes you amazing. Yes, there's work, but it's a leading of the Holy Spirit. 
like we talked about over the last several weeks. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. All the work that the Holy Spirit does within you is leading you to become more and more like Jesus every day. The Holy Spirit, it empowers the church to receive. It empowers the church to move. And here's actually one of my more favorite parts as I was studying. The Holy Spirit empowers the church to unite. Oh, church, we are probably in one of our most divisive times that we've ever seen. As a country, as a movement, as a globe, everything is divisive. Everybody's divvying up, everybody's digging in, everybody's got their own agenda and is upset with somebody who has an agenda that's different. Everybody is combative. Social media has risen this to the umph degree. You don't even want to talk to even certain relatives anymore, certain friends, certain family members. I mean, there is so much division and it's seeped so deep now within the church that it's causing unbelievers to say, why would I want to be a part of that? You don't even like each other. And yet... When the Holy Spirit came upon the church, you saw unity. This is what blew my mind as I was reading this. When I read in Acts 2, and I I said all those places, half of which I couldn't pronounce correctly, 15 different areas is named there. And that's not to say that that was all the areas. That's just what they named. 15 different regions, 15 different cultures, 15 different backgrounds. And all of a sudden... The gospel is preached in a way that each one of them understands and the church is born with all those different regions. This is what it tells me. The church always started as a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-gender entity. It was never meant to be the white church, the black church, the Hispanic church, the Asian church. It's the church made up of Arab, Greek, Jew, Jew people who converted to Judaism, Gentiles, which most of those people probably were mortified at the idea of that. But the move of God includes everyone. This is what I love about my church. I love all the different cultures. And, and people who know me, you know I love culture, especially cultural food. I just like, I am a, a man of the world in that sense. I like to sit there and dabble. And uh, I mean, I like it all, but 99% I'm, I'm good with. And isn't that wonderful that we can have those shared experiences? And as much as we can share a meal, we share something much deeper. We share the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that flows in me flows through you. And this is what I love about the church is we can be united in such amazing ways with people that we barely know simply because we have that common denominator. It's like some of you, you, you know, you, I, I had this happen to me a few times. Y'all, if you have a big family, this will happen from time to time. I remember in second grade, uh, I was talking to this new girl in school and she just showed up and, you know, we're trying to make sure she feels welcome. And she starts telling me about, her, you know, all this and that. And then we find out she has the same last name. And I'm like, oh, snap. And then we start doing some background. Turns out she's actually my cousin, like my second cousin, which from that moment on, any girl I ever talked to, I was like, so who's your daddy? Who's your mama? Like, what's... what's Let's do a little 23 and me here before we talk anything further. <laughs> Just got to be careful nowadays. I never know. And so we, we went through this whole thing and, and then I realized like, okay, we're family. And it's funny, when you find out someone's your cousin, you're like, cousin, right? It's weird. <laughs> you don't know this person. Oh, that's my cousin. It's like, really? Like you guys grew up together? No, I met him yesterday, but that's my cousin. <laughs> you start name dropping. Oh, you know so-and-so? That's my cousin. You ain't never talked to that person in your life. I know, but we can trace it back close enough. (laughs) But here's even more. You're a believer? That's my brother. Oh, you're a believer? That's my sister. No, no, we're blood now. Now listen, don't 
don't get me wrong. It's not like you got to trust her. I don't even trust my own sisters all the time. Like, I love you, Pastor Evelyn, but what are you trying to do here? It's like, but we do have this instant bond with any believer. I had a friend of mine in the UK who just recently uh, passed away and, and it was heartbreaking and um, you know, they asked me if I would do a small video tribute, you know, just 30 seconds, 40 seconds, uh, so they could play at the memorial. They're like, he really loved you and he'd really appreciate you doing that. I go, yeah, absolutely. So as I'm filming this little tribute, it dawns on me, oh, even though we've hung out on several occasions, because he lived in the UK and I lived in the United States, when you add it up, we only ever got together and knew each other for less than a month. But I had such a closeness to him because of our bond in Jesus. That literally, he stayed at my house, I stayed at his house, like we, you know, his kids love me, and my, my kids got just, you know, it's just, we had this amazing bond because of the commonality that we have in understanding. I don't care that you're not my skin color and you don't live in my country. You are my brother because we have the same father. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter four, verse two through four. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves, listen to this, united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one. There's no Guatemalan and Polish. There's no black and purple. There's no, there's no all these different things that we use on a census to divvy each other up and to really identify who exactly you are. As the Bible goes on to say, there's no male, female, Greek, Jew. Like none of that exists anymore. Because we are all believers, Christians, one spirit and one body. And we all belong to that same body. And none of us are going to be like, you know what? I'm getting sick and tired of my right hand. Let's get rid of it. <laughs> I'm getting sick and tired of my left pinky toe. It kind of moves in a weird way. Like, like, just get rid of it. None of us do that. We all just understand this is my body. I love every aspect of it. And I need every aspect of it. Church, every one of you is important in this room. I need you to understand that. Every one of you is vital to the success of this church. Every one of you needs to be engaged in order for us to be successful. So none of you, we can afford to just sit on the sideline and do nothing. We can't afford for any of you to just be spectators, to just show up. We need all of you to be involved, to be engaged, to be united. Sure, there's leadership. The 120 were the ones who started leading the 3,000. But of those 3,000, rose more leadership. Rose more people who served. Rose people like Stephen. Rose people like the other disciples who, who came up and did powerful and amazing things. Why? Because we were united with one purpose and one spirit and one mission. We're all called to do the same thing. We want to fill this church. Not because, you know, it's impressive and, you know, they won't fire P. Joey, but that would be very nice. But because when you fill the church, you fill heaven. Numbers matter in that sense. And again, I'm, I'm not naive. I know not everybody in the building. Is, but you got a better chance when you are in the building. <laughs> I would think. But the church is not going to get filled because you got a new pastor. I hope, hate to burst your bubble on that one. It's like I said this to the youth a lot, and I hope they understood me, but... I would always tell them, youth ministry is only youth ministry when the youth are ministering. And so if you think the youth ministry sucks, with all due respect, you suck. Because it's your ministry. 
don't blame me. Like, I'm 37 years old. I wasn't going to do anything special on that. I will lead you, but it's still yours. So again, with all due respect, if you don't like this church, look in the mirror. Because it's your church. God called you here. God's called you to serve. I'm going to try my best to do everything God's called me to do. But you got to do your best to do everything God's called you to do. To be united in that. And we're united by the same spirit that leads us. Worship team, if you can help me out. Now, I've often thought to myself, as I read Acts, remember it's called Pentecost, 50 days. And I mentioned that for 40 days after Christ's resurrection, he walked the earth and then he ascended into heaven, not before telling the disciples to wait on the Holy Spirit. So you got about 10 days where the church is gathering in the upper room and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit. And I think to myself, why 10 days? Why not instantly? Why not as Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descends, they, they high five like a ring match and then boom, we got it. Why does he make them wait? I mean, that's an existential question in and of itself. Why does God make us wait? But I think there's a few practical answers. I think in order to receive the Holy Spirit, you need to make room for the Holy Spirit. It's like if someone's moving into your house, you got to make room. When I married my wife, she moved into my apartment. I needed to make room for her. It wasn't a bachelor pad anymore. I needed to make space for her. When my daughter was born, we needed to make room for her. When my second daughter was born, we needed to make more room for her. Maybe some of us can't be full of the Holy Spirit because we're still full of ourselves. And you need to be emptied out before you can get poured into. Maybe it took 10 days for the disciples to empty themselves, to prepare their hearts and their bodies and their spirits to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give us about five minutes. I'm going to ask you to stand if you can. And we're going to worship. And I'm going to ask you to truly engage in this worship. Because what you need to understand is for those 10 days, the disciples didn't wait just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. Holy Spirit's not here yet. It's not like they were waiting for a pizza. Their waiting was in the presence of God. They were worshiping. They were praying. They were leaning and pursuing and seeking the face of God. And in the midst of that seeking, Holy Spirit showed up. So there needs to be a moment of seeking. Listen, I'm only doing five minutes. You may not get the Holy Spirit or receive the Holy Spirit in this moment. That's fine. You can take the next 10 years. You can take the next 10 years. I'm not telling the Holy Spirit when and how he needs to show up but I am seeking him. You might've been filled with the Holy Spirit before. Great, you might've had a meal before. It doesn't mean you don't eat again. Like, let's pursue more. So we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna worship. And as we're worshiping, if you feel a sense, an unction, a move to say, I wanna receive the Holy Spirit. I wanna be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled afresh and anew. I want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want to be effective in the Holy Spirit. Then as we're worshiping, freely, meet me up here. And after a few minutes of worshiping, those that are with me who are wanting to receive that, we will pray together and we will seek the face of God and we will do what the Bible tells us to do. But we got to make room first. So church, come on, would you just lift up your hands just as a sign of surrender? 
And as the worship team begins to lead us in this song, would you just begin to engage?